right, so this is just to finish up this very long podcast. Um, I just wanted to say um, that Jesus is absolutely amazing. If you're basing any rejection of Jesus Christ on the world or on us flawed, horrible people, because we are, we're fallen human beings, we're imperfect and cursed and sinful and broken, so broken. So if you're basing your rejection on Christ on the actions of man, don't. I challenge you to take some time. You don't even have to buy a Bible. But take some time. Look at the Bible app. I think you just type uh, Bible.com maybe. But don't do that because maybe it'll be something bad. Go into your search engine and look up, just look for for like type in Bible app or um, version or Bible.com, whatever. So you don't even have to download an app. You can read the Bible. Bible Gateway is really good as well. Um, you can read the Bible online. Like you don't have to invest anything but time. But Oh, read the book of John. Just read the book of John. And do it with an open mind. Don't do it with um, the filters engaged. Take some time. We're all very self-aware, right? We're all very new agey. We all know that about meditation. People are quick to tell you, maybe you should meditate. Do some yoga. I'm going to tell you right now, clear your mind. Take some time and be like, I'm going to lower my filters. Let me find out what filters I have engaged. Oh yeah, that person really pissed me off and claimed they were a Christian and they stole money from me. This person really pissed me off, claimed they were a Christian and talked about me. This person really pissed me off, claimed they were a Christian and just treat pe- treats people like dirt. This person really pisses me off because... They're a Christian, and they're out there doing their approved sins, but they get mad at my watching sports on Sunday and gambling. Okay, so, or just watching sports on Sunday, because trust me, some of us religious people can be really, really bad. Um, drop all your filters, and anytime you feel one spring up while reading the book of John, be like, wait, that's a filter. <laughs> I'm reading it through a filter of irritation. Take some time and read the book of John and try not to let cynicism and sarcasm into, into the equation. I know it's hard. I'm not, I'm not pretending it isn't. Even as I'm talking now, you probably know a tone of sarcasm in my voice at times. It's very hard not to be a sarcastic. But just take some time and read the book of John and, and just sit there and say, you don't even, it's not even a prayer, but it, it is, but it's not really. <laughs> but just say, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm going to read the book of John. For however long it takes. don't You don't have to do it all in one sitting. Um, but like, I'm going to read the book of John. And uh, if you exist, show me in your word. Now I'm going to tell you right now, don't be, don't get, don't breeze through it and then be like, well, God didn't show me nothing because yes, he did. You just refused to hear it. He's real. And I, and his word is, is living and breathing and on fire it burns it burns because it refines and it corrects and it strengthens and it guides and it encourages and it can be painful but it can be so tender it's just his word is amazing take time to read john book of john uh read different translations if you want to that's why like doing it online is perfect but if you want to buy a bible buy a bible um because you'll probably want one afterwards. But anyway, read through the book of John and just let who Jesus is come out of these pages. 
setting aside every bad example that we as flawed human fallen broken individuals have given and read about the compassionate loving man Jesus Christ that not only changed so many lives and brought so many healings but was also fiery and passionate and powerful so powerful you can't help but be caught up in who Jesus is by reading the book of John so that's my challenge to you um, if you take it and you have questions if you read the book of John and you realize Julie you were right God exists um, write me <laughs> write me uh, htal.podcast at gmail.com I would love to hear from you um, I just I really believe that Jesus is reaching out to people through his word and I'm going to put this at the beginning of my podcast um, rather than the end so you're going to be confused because you're going to be like what just happened I was originally going to put this at the end but I feel like this message is far more important than what I talk about in the podcast that's not to say not to listen to the rest of it, but it is an extremely long pod podcast and I would hate for you to get to the end of it and not want to hear this. So this I feel is the most important thing. I just want you to know Jesus loves you and Jesus is alive. And he did come as a man to live a sinless, perfect life here on earth. And he laid down his life to die a brutal, horrible, unthinkable death on a cross so that you could be saved and I could be saved through his resurrection. Read the book of John. Take some time to set aside your biases. Because trust me, like there's things that I've people have told me and I'm sitting there with my preconceived notions and I've had to set them aside to hear what they're saying. So that's all I'm asking you to do. Set aside pre preconceived notions and bitternesses and, and angst and vows to never never become a Christian because you've been hurt by people legitimately hurt by people I don't doubt that one at all but just take some time to see who he is because that's what Christianity is about it's not about me I could be the most screwed up individual in the world and unfortunately that would I'm gonna have to answer for anything that I've done I'm under grace, but I'm still going to have to see what my negative things have caused Well, under grace. It's hard to explain. I digress. But discover who Jesus is because I got to tell you people, like, there is no one like him. There is no life like the true Christian life of belonging to Jesus Christ. There is really genuinely nothing if I knew about money that you could get in the just by taking three simple steps and you would get you know twenty thousand dollars and there was an unlimited supply and all I had to do was tell you wouldn't you be peeved at me if I didn't if I didn't tell you hey this is how you get twenty thousand dollars you know you you like this page and then you share the post and then you show them you shared the post and you get twenty thousand dollars wouldn't you like hate me if I knew that? And I'm like, oh yeah, I knew about that. I did that like 10 years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't tell you. Yeah, that's Christianity, folks. 
it's far better. It's far better than $20,000. And if I don't tell you about it, and if I don't encourage you to let go of your biases and your preconceived notions and your, your hurts that could be very legitimate hurts to seek out who Jesus Christ is and actually become a Christian and be saved, then you'd be very disappointed in me. <laughs> if you'd be like, you had the answer. You had the answer the whole time and you never told me. So there you go. Um, but yeah, drop me a line. Um, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Like I said, I'm sorry if it's confusing that I put this at the beginning, but I just feel like it's more important. Um, but uh, enjoy this uh, beginning of a series. I'm very excited uh, to actually do research, believe it or not, and have a series for the first time ever on Hefzabah Talks A Lot. But thank you for your support and thank you for listening and share the podcast. And uh, please message me if you've got questions or if you've accepted Christ or if I've encouraged you in any way. Thanks. Hello, everybody. It's Julie with Hef Sabah Talks A Lot. This is going to be um, an interesting podcast, I think, um, assuming that I actually finish it and post it because I've recorded two, at least, in the last couple days and deleted both of them just because I didn't feel they were worth putting up there. Honestly, um, belonging to Jesus Christ is amazing because he just protects you from so much. Assuming that you listen, because some of us don't, uh, myself included. But um, I feel like when I listen to him that I definitely miss out on a lot of negative harvests that I could have very easily collected if I if I was still the impetuous young Christian I used to be. Um, I used to not care, so it's good to care. But I'm talking briefly this today. I just wanted to talk about uh, some of the women of the Bible that I think about the most and I um, admire the most, for lack of a better word. So I'm going to preface this with uh, just the the realization that the things I admire about these women are all different. They all have a unique something that they've done or they are that makes me admire them. And I'm going to I'm gonna give like a little disclaimer because when it comes to Mary, um, who was honored by God to carry Jesus and be his mother on earth, um, because I was not raised Catholic and I lived in a very Catholic-dominated society because the the city I lived in especially was highly a Catholic community and um, the state is a is a very Catholic state Um, I was basically inundated with Catholicism even though I wasn't Catholic and because I was raised as like a Baptist and then eventually a Pentecostal Christian um, but Catholics were looked at as the enemy, which is completely false. And it's really interesting because as I've gotten older um, and I've, I've interacted with, with Catholics outside of my family, I've, I've interacted with, with Catholics, and there's such a separation. But it's, it's just really interesting to me because, um, you know, there was one a woman at the domestic violence shelter I was interning at that I, I, I gave her some Christian resources to help her through her trauma. And she was like, I'm not a Christian. And she said it very uh, angrily. And I was like, uh, but you're Catholic, right? And she's like, yes. I go, but 
so you're Christian. Like I know, it's like interesting the separation there. Um, and what had happened to me was I was probably in my, my early 20s thereabouts when I was sitting there thinking about uh, Catholics and Christians. And God just point blank told me, if they are not against me, they are for me. In other words, why are they your enemy? Because that's the way the, the church made them, okay? I'm not, this is how legalism works, just so you know. Um, and I was like, well, you're right. Why are they my enemy? And from there, I, I had a whole new respect for, for Catholics and the, Cath the Catholic Church. Um, because we can become very pompous in our legalism. Now, granted, there are things in the Catholic Church I don't agree with, hence me talking about this, because that, my being um, brought through my, my Baptist and my Pentecostal uh, upbringing up to a certain point, um, being taught that they're idolaters and, and all this stuff is wrong. Now, there's things I don't agree with, like I said, they, that I don't agree with personally as a believer. However, like, that doesn't make them my enemy. That doesn't make them less saved than me. I think a Catholic can have a far deeper relationship with God than I do. And just because I don't understand the tenets of their faith doesn't mean that I'm any better than they are. Um, however, what this did was it led to me being very resistant to looking at Mary with the worth and value she deserved to be looked at. So it took a long time for me to get to a place in my life where I could acknowledge Mary deserves to be honored. Now, there's a difference in my life and in my opinion to one being honored and one being worshipped. And that was part of why I had a really strong resistance to looking at Mary with the respect she deserved because she's being worshipped. And I don't believe that's okay. I don't believe that's okay. Uh, I, if I have any Catholics in my audience um, that are listening to this, just know that this is me. I'm not, I'm not like heaping any negativity on what you believe. This is me, okay? Um, so it was really hard for me to come to grips with the value of Mary. So even though I'm going to talk about women of the Bible um, that I really admire, when I talk when and if, because I may not, uh, I talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, it's going to be very light because I, I've just recently gotten past the stigma of how being raised in a Catholic dominant society has, or culture, has made me uh, resistant to um, seeing her for her value. But Mary is an, an exceptional woman. Um, and uh, to be called to do what she did and to say yes is just huge. So I really feel like Mary actually deserves her own podcast. But if I mention her in this, it's going to be very brief and it won't have as much passion as some of the other women I'll talk about. And that's because, um, like I said, I had to. I have to really unlearn a lot, and I also have. Um, I, I also feel that she truly deserves her own podcast, uh, just like my Samaritan Woman podcast that's going to be coming up. But as I promised in one of my other podcasts, uh, this is a podcast, just a brief overlook at the women of the Bible that I admire, and then um, from there I will look at a few of the women in a deeper context. Uh, for sure, the Samaritan Woman. Now that I've briefly talked about Mary, I'm thinking I should definitely do one on about Mary, and then um, possibly. Um, Mary Magdalene, because I just, her whole thing with the alabaster box is just, it cannot be overlooked, along with other things. Um, and then um, Ruth, because <laughs> people like to misrepresent Ruth. And I say people, it was one man, but it irritated me. So I need to find that misrepresentation, which is really hard to track down. Um, but 
uh, you have to be careful what you do with the Bible. You misrepresent God. You're just setting yourself up and others for trouble. But anyway, moving on. I'm going to start with Eve. She's the first woman of the Bible, obviously. Um, so Eve was the very first woman. Adam was the very first man. And we can expect them to screw up. Okay. Now, granted, when Adam and Eve were first made, they did not have sin. And um, in, the, in the understanding of being a cursed and fallen people, which we can't fully fathom, they did not have imperfections. I'm not saying that like, every hair was perfect or anything like that, because what do we define perfection with? Uh, I just mean that they weren't like us. Like, they didn't have like, these emotional mood swings. They weren't um, struggling with their flesh. No, they just lived in the garden and enjoyed life. Eve gets the bum rush of all of this, okay? Because when you look at what exactly happened in Genesis 3, um, you're like, oh, Eve, you're an idiot. Okay, she was the first woman, people, first of all. Adam and God walked um, together in the garden, and then God made Eve. And God told, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to change this because it's in... Um, King James, which is not a big deal, but this all the whole hath and they and thee and all that can throw people off. So um, it's interesting because it says that the serpent was already skilled in deceit before, like, the devil even um, approached Eve. But anyway, um, so um, God had told Eve that and Adam, that they could have everything. They could have everything in that garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so here's what inter what's interesting, and here's what the devil does to all of us, whether you want to admit it or not. So the devil wants us to believe that whatever the world is offering is truth, whereas whatever God says is a lie. And so because of the pleasure of sin, regardless of the long-term repercussions, or the fact that you feel guilty once you violate God's standard of, li of living, whether you're saved or not, um, you, you, you believe that the lie, that what the world has for you is better than what God has for you. And that is exactly what happened the very first time someone sinned. Because Satan went to Eve and told her, well, can you not eat from everything? Like, like acting ignorant. Like, well, isn't it, isn't it okay for you to do anything here? This is your garden, you know? And, and Eve was like, well, you know, we can eat from everywhere. Uh, from everything except this one tree. Um, the thing is, too, that once once you start believing the lie, you start compounding it. The problem with lying is that you have to lie to cover a lie, and then you have to lie to cover that lie, and eventually your lies get so tangled you never know what, you can't remember the truth. You can't remember the original truth. So for point in case, let me tell you about a personal lie that still haunts me today. I used to be a compulsive liar. That was my defense mechanism based on the trauma I had experienced as a kid. So... It was really hard to break those lies, okay? And when God had me break that lie, that lying, compulsive lying thing, it was painful, folks, so just don't do it. Don't, not, don't break it, but don't lie. <laughs> it's, the, it's not worth it. So when I was a, a wee lass, I, uh, I was obsessed with fire. I wasn't a pyro. I just, you know, I didn't have a respect for fire that I should have had. And as a kid, I was hanging out in my room at one of our houses at night, and I, I lit a candle how I got matches, I don't know, but I did. I was probably like six, seven. I don't know, kid. This is not good. And I lit this candle, and it's in, it was in a glass candle holder, and I had let it burn for maybe, yeah, I don't know, 10 minutes. It wasn't long. I went to pick it up, and the glass was hot because that's what happens. Yeah, you know that as an adult now. Um, and I burned my finger. 
and I dropped uh, the candle, and thankfully, it went out. I might have been a little bit older because uh, my parents were already divorced at this point. I don't know. Anyway, I broke, I burnt, I dropped it, and and broke the glass. Yeah, I was older. I was thinking of another time with fire. Don't listen. Uh, I never, I never lit things on fire. I just was. I would find a match and be like, "Oh, what's this?" And yeah, curiosity it wasn't like dangerous obsession with fire um, or attraction to fire. Anyway, so I burned this. I burned my finger and got a blister on my finger. And so later, when my my mom and my, her boyfriend questioned me about this blister on my finger, I lied and said, I mean, obviously, and said that I had touched a light bulb. Why did I touch a light bulb? I don't know. They had to have known full-fledged that I was lying, but they let it pass. Uh, I said that when I went to turn my light off, I accidentally touched a light bulb, burned my finger. Okay. Uh, so I was actually more than likely in sixth grade or fifth grade at this point, is my thought. But I could have been older. I don't remember my age. Just know I was young. And, uh, a couple weeks later, they just randomly brought that up. Like, well, how did you burn your finger? And I'm sitting there like, because I'd already deleted the lie. I didn't care. I'd already gotten away with it in my mind. And I'm like, uh, I don't remember. And they're like, you said you burnt your finger on the light bulb. I go, yeah, that's it. That's what happened. <laughs> so the point in case is, you're not getting away with your lies. You think you are, but you're not. So we, what we do is we compound the lie. Um, you have to lie to cover the lie to cover the lie, which is stupid. Uh, so she, he's tricked her already. He's already thrown the bait out. So in her mind, she's like, well, yeah, God said we can't eat the fruit of the tree. And then she says, or touch it. But God never said don't touch it. I mean, why would you? Because you're, you know, you shouldn't be hanging around that tree anyway. But that's what Eve was doing. So God, if, if God had legitimately said don't touch it because you're going to die, why would she be hanging around a tree that's going to kill her? Now, of course, they don't have the understanding. This meant spiritual death. They don't have the understanding of that. These are the first men and women, whatever. But she's hanging out by the tree. Okay. So the serpent, Satan, tells her, well, you're not going to die. Once you eat this, you're going to be like God. Well, that's appealing. So in her mind, she's thinking, wow, it's going to make me, you know, smart. So I'm going to go ahead and just do it. But here's the kicker, folks. It says that she gave to her husband who was with her. That means Adam big manly man that he was, was just standing there letting her be deceived. Folks, I got to tell you, we got to give them some slack considering the fact that they are the first man and the first woman and they had never experienced deceit. Think about that. They didn't know that this guy was lying to them. Now, granted, she added to God's decree, which is a form of lying. However... Once again, she was not aware. She was deceived. Adam was not deceived. The Bible tells us that later on. Adam was not deceived. Yet Eve gets a bum rush, and they both uh, realize they were naked. Then they hide from God, and then God has to tell them stuff. Now, um, God already knew they were going to do this. God already prepared uh, our redemption between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S, meaning Jesus Christ, uh, he shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. In other words, you're going to think you won, but you're not going to win. Um, the devil doesn't win. But it says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Friends, we like to blame Eve for painful childbirth, but it was going to be painful no matter what. <laughs> because it's the law of nature. What is actually happening uh, is going to hurt. Uh, it's just that 
this was multiplied. Um, and then your desire and longing will be for husband, and he will rule over you and have authority over you. Men can take that too far. But I got to commend Eve because she was the first woman to do everything. She was the first woman to exist. She was the first woman to love a man. She was the first woman to be married. She was the first wife, the first mother. Um, she was not the first sister because obviously she's the only woman. Um, but she's she was the first. So she couldn't be the first for everything because then she couldn't be the first aunt. She couldn't be the first. But you know what I mean. She was the one that, like, she had to learn how to how to be a wife. And she had to do so without understanding. Like suddenly they're cast out of a garden where everything's provided for them and they have to do everything on their own now. They've, they're just out in the world trying to learn how to be man and woman. And um, so that's, that's about the gist of my Eve thing. I just think we give her the bums rush because we want to blame her for everything. But if you really look at what happened in Genesis, you see that, yes, she was deceived, but, but Adam willfully chose to eat that fruit. And the Bible tells us that later, that through one man sin entered the world, meaning Adam, and through one man sin, sin would be removed from the world, meaning Jesus. So who's really the, the thing? But once again, looking at both the fact that Eve was the very first woman and, ma and Adam was the very first man, we really have to cut them a little bit of slack. We like to um, blame them for a lot of things. So that's one woman in the Bible that I admire, I think about, and I know people are like, oh, you admire Eve? I do. I mean, think about all she had to do. Um, even that, like her son, one son killing another son. I mean, just all this stuff. And Adam and Eve didn't just have Cain and Abel. Like, they had tons of kids because that's how the earth got populated, whatever you want to believe otherwise. that's God doesn't say. And then I created, you know, Kathy and Bill over here, and then I created, you know, Ben and Nancy over here, and then I created... Charlie and, and Olivia over here. Like, you know, you just, it doesn't work that way. He, Adam and Eve were the, the ones, you know, that launched it. So then we look at um, Ruth. Ruth is amazing because she's a Moabite, Moabitess. And the Moabites were rejected and unloved and uncared for um, in the world overall. Um, so we look, at, we look at her and we think to ourselves, well, that's, that's interesting. Um, because not only did is Ruth an exceptional person, but we can see that Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah were all amazing women. And we can see this because of their relationship. How many of you women have an, an, a stellar, unbreakable, almost like actual mother-daughter bond with your mother-in-law? It's extremely rare. It's not impossible, but it is extremely rare. For some reason, there is a deep-rooted... Well, I'll tell you the reason. It's because Satan hates you. So he w he doesn't want women bonded to the level that, like, Ruth and Naomi bonded. Now, Orpah had a bond with Naomi as well. Um, the thing is that Orpah's journey had to end where it did. Um, if Naomi had returned to Bethlehem with, with two daughters-in-laws, I mean, and... And it's not a negative thing on Orpah. People like to discredit Orpah, but I believe that God had a completely different direction for Orpah because he knew that Ruth, um, he had that plan for Boaz and Ruth. I don't know if Orpah would have ever found a husband in Bethlehem. That's not to say she wouldn't have. Um, and also, like, you know, would Orpah have cast a negative shadow on Ruth or would... Ruth just have been overlooked because she and Orpah were together the whole time and they're two Moabites. Would Orpah and Ruth have stood out, of course, because they were Moabites, but would 
they have stood out as much as Ruth by herself. There's just so many different things. So Orpah's journey had to end. It wasn't a negative thing for her to decide to go back home. As many as people want to throw stones at Orpah, I feel like Orpah, I would like to know more about Orpah's story, in truth. Um, but Ruth clings to her mother-in-law, and Naomi gets really ticked off. She's like, dude, what the heck? So um, she gives her the silent treatment, and still, Ruth sticks it out. Um, it says a lot about the character of Naomi and the character of Ruth and even the character of Orpah for them to have this kind of a relationship and actually for Ruth to actually forsake everything including the false gods of the Moabites to follow Naomi into a strange land knowing that she would never marry again Ruth knew she would never marry again she knew that she was going to be responsible for taking care of Naomi the rest of her life and then when that was done who was going to take care of Ruth I don't know um but Ruth had forsaken her people, so she wouldn't have gone back to Moab. She would have had to figure out how to, how to be cared for by, by Naomi's people. Because um, she said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She just fors forsook everything. Through that, God blessed Ruth with Boaz. And in all of the, the telling of the tale, you can see that Ruth had to go to Naomi. And Naomi had to be like, what? What is this? Oh, my goodness. Like, this guy's interested in her. And, and, like, Naomi had to, like, steer it. Now, Naomi was bitter. When she returned uh, to, Jeru to Jerusalem or Bethlehem, I keep saying Bethlehem. I might be wrong. Um, when she returned, uh, let me just pull up Ruth while I'm talking. Um, they're like, oh, my goodness, could this be Naomi? And she's like, no, 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 just call me Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. But look at the, the look at the blessing Naomi got through. Um, yeah, it is Bethlehem. Woo! Okay. <laughs> I'm like, wait. Um, sorry. But um, she gets blessed um, through her daughter-in-law, through the faithfulness Naomi had with her daughter-in-law and Ruth had for Naomi. They, they are both blessed through the um, coming together of Boaz and Ruth. And just so you all know, Ruth and Boaz did not have sex before they were married. So everybody can just discount that lie. That's the person I talked about where I said some guy just spun it to... They wanted to spin the whole book of Ruth to make it that women should start pursuing men. You know what, men? You know, grow up. We're, uh, I'm, I'm so sick of forward women. I, I, I you know, oh, I'm going to ask him out or I'm going to be the flirt or I'm going to be the aggressor. And, and feminism tells you to do that and the Bible does not. The forward woman in the Bible, uh, Jezebel. Forward woman in the Bible, uh, Delilah. That's who you want to be, be that. Women that actually listen to God and respond to the pursuit of a man, Ruth. You know, I'm sorry, that's the only one I can think of right now. But there you go. Do, take from that what you will. Um, and once again, folks, my opinion, and if it offends you, ask yourself why it offends you. Because my opinion should not mean jack to you. Unless you really, really respect me. And then you should still ask yourself, why does it offend me that she, her opinion is, is going against what I believe? Okay. Because that must mean something, right? Anyway. Um, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm right. I'm just, <laughs> you know, whatever. You can turn this podcast off, podcast off at any time. Okay, so... Um, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Um, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And uh, Naomi took the child and became his nurse. And um, they named him Obed. Um, 
And Obed is the father of Jesse and the father of David. Uh, that to me is just, look at that. So we look at Ruth, and verses 18 through 22 says, Now these are the descendants of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king of Israel and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. Folks, Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. A Moabitess is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So don't think, I think that Ruth is a telling thing that if someone's going to make you feel like a second-class citizen, she didn't have people outwardly helping her. She was in the fields working with all the other widows that couldn't, you know, that had to care for themselves and glean from the corners of the fields and all that, the provision that God established his people to do for widows and orphans. Um, she was out there working her butt off and through that she was blessed and she was blessed because first of all she was a hard worker and second of all she wasn't a flirt once again like I'm saying she was not an aggressive woman she wasn't in that field checking out the men because there had to have been some good-looking men working in that field all buff and whatnot she wasn't sitting there like oh he's cute oh just like the other women right the other women in there um, when Boaz asks about um, about Ruth um, let me see where I can find it. Um, please let me go in the field and glean. So Ruth, Ruth went and gleaned. Um, and then Boaz asked, Boaz said to, this is, uh, Ruth 2, uh, verse 5. Uh, then Boaz said to the servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is that? And the servant in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Okay, so that was something that Naomi had to have told her. Well, if you want to provide for us, you can go do this. And this is how you do it. You ask, blah, 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 blah. So she came and has continued gathering grain from early morning until now, except when she sat resting a little while in the field house. Okay. Um, so she just worked. She went there and worked. She wasn't screwing around. She wasn't, I'm not saying not to have friendships at work. I'm not saying not to, you know take breaks. I'm just saying like she went there and she worked. That was her intention. I'm going to provide for Naomi and I. So then um, Boaz like tells her, oh, stay with the women and stay in my field and I'll protect you. And she's like, why? Why are you doing this? And Boaz in verse 11 says, I have been made fully aware of everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you with your ki for your kindness, and may, you reward, may your reward be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under the, whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then um, he tells her somewhere. Um, man, I wonder if it's because of the version I'm reading. Let me change the version for a minute. Um, because he tells her that he, he notices that she didn't chase after young men. Um, oh, well, I don't know where it is. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me just pause for a second. All right, so it's in, it's in Ruth 3. Um, and verse 10, and Boaz replied, The Lord bless you. This shows how loyal, truly loyal you are to your family. You could have looked for a younger man, either rich or poor, but you didn't. Don't worry. I'll do what you have asked. You are respected by everyone in town. Um, 
So essentially, she wasn't chasing after men. She wasn't trying to find a husband. She wasn't trying to, like, move herself up in the world. Um, I am really against being a forward, aggressive woman, uh, in the, especially in the realm of romance. So I'm sorry if that's offensive. I don't, I just don't feel that you should be aggressive in that realm. I think that men should be the ones pursuing and women should respond to the pursuit. That's just me. Um, so that's going to wrap up this segment. This is about Eve and Ruth, uh, with a little preface about what this podcast is about. And then the next segment will be talking about other women of the Bible, um, as we move on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the second segment of our Women of the Bible um, preview, because that's essentially what this is. Um, as much as I'd like to say it's not a preview, it is. Um, like I said, I talked a, a little bit about Eve already. Uh, I talked about Eve and I talked about Ruth in the first segment. This seg second segment, I'm going to lightly touch on a couple other women and then... Um, you can look forward to, um, at least three more podcasts focused on specific women. One is definitely going to be on Ruth. One is definitely going to be on the Samaritan woman. And one is definitely going to be on Mary Magdalene. Now with the Mary Magdalene, I might do one segment in that one about Mary Magdalene and one segment about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because as I mentioned in segment one, um, that I really want to, um, focus on on Mary and give her the, the definitely the credit she deserves. Um, but I'm just going to lightly touch on on uh, the Samaritan woman, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, and both Marys in this segment, and kind of wrap up this um, beginning of a series, which, wow, I'm doing a series. So I'm hoping I can stick to this. My plan, I've just entered Chinese New Year. When I filmed the first half of this segment, I was not quite into Chinese New Year yet. I was a day away from it. But now I'm in Chinese New Year. And so I'm going to have a few days with a little bit of time on my hands. Now, not a lot of time because I'm still in seminary school. And so I'm still working on stuff um, for that. But I digress. Um, let me talk about the woman with the issue of blood first. Uh, she is extremely interesting because she broke the social norms. And I think that is something, I mean, obviously Eve didn't have social norms to break. She was the first, as we talked about. Uh, but, um, even Ruth was breaking the social norms because Moabites were not, um, welcome, um, in the old Testament because of, of things that occurred against the Israelites. God, actually forbid the Moabites from being a part of his uh, people. Obviously, God looks at the heart, which is, it should be a refreshing thing for us to consider the fact that God looks at the heart and he doesn't blanket that statement where we would just be excluded because of, of our genealogy. Um, but, uh, or, you know, our race, whatever. Um, we exclude ourselves, essentially. God doesn't exclude any of us. 
from coming to him or being a part of his family or his story. We exclude ourselves, and we do that by, obviously, rejecting Jesus Christ. Um, but let's talk about the woman with the issue of blood. She had suffered with this um, for many years, and um, she uh, had gone to many doctors, and we can all see that, uh, how many of us have had ailments and we've gone to many doctors. I can tell you about, and it's definitely not as intense by any stretch of the imagination of, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. However, at one point my body reacted negatively to some stress and I broke up with, broke out with these horribly itchy hives. And needless to say, once we took care of the itching, the hives and the marks remained for almost six months or thereabouts. Do not underestimate stress, friends. Um, so uh, we look at uh, the woman of the issue of blood. and it, We find her story in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And I'm going to be reading this from my printed Bible as opposed to the Bible app, which makes it so I can just change translations on a whim. My printed Bible that I'm going to be reading from is the Living Bible. Not my favorite translation, but it's okay. We'll power through. So we're looking at verses 25 through 34. And it says here that, uh, well, let's start at 21 because it talks about, it goes a little further or a little, you know, whatever. So when Jesus had gone across by boat to the other side of the lake, a vast crowd gathered around him on the shore. The leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, came and fell down before him, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. She's at the point of death. He said in desperation, please come and place your hands on her and make her live. <clears throat> Excuse me. The thing is, if we look at the world, women, feminism had to come about because men believed that they were the be all and end all of life. And, uh, sorry about that noise. And because of that, they, uh, kept women in their place. And so women started to fight for the right to vote and all this other stuff. Now, some negative stuff came from, um, some from feminism, but a lot of positive came from feminism. And I once had a college professor when she was asked about feminism, and she said, I think it's just like any movement. We just went a little too far. And I know that if you're a feminist and you're listening to this, that probably pissed you off. However, if we really look at some of the things lost because of feminism or the feminist movement, uh, we can see that we that it did go a smidge far. But definitely the, the things it achieved, uh, that feminist and, and that women before us, those the amazing things they achieved for us through their sacrifice is awesome. My point, Jesus and God care about women. As much as the world wants to say that, that God is, is uh, all about men and that women are second-class citizens and God gives men power over them, not true at all. Well, it does say, as we talked about with the, the Eve part of this podcast, um, that men would be over women. It does not mean it in the brute force and controlling and domineering and evil way that Satan makes you think it matters or means. It it actually means that uh, when God created Eve, he created a help meet, which means he created someone that would partner with Adam and compliment him as his pair, as his partner, to become one flesh. Um, God cares about women. If you read through the New Testament, it's amazing how many women Jesus interacted with um, without being dismissive, like they, people were, I think that's why the, uh, the Samaritan woman and the woman with the issue of blood are just two of amazing stories, but are so 
poignant in looking at the the story of Jesus as well as finding your own value and worth because both these women were outcasts. If a woman was constantly bleeding during her period in general, she was considered unclean. And that's just frustrating in general because periods suck in general. I'm sorry if you're a period worshiper. I am not by any stretch of the imagination. And there you feel miserable. Your body hurts. You go through horrible mood swings. You could be so furious one minute and then weeping and, and sad the next. And it is, and then you just have like blood and tissue and everything just pouring out of your body. Like it's, it's just, I can't even explain it. And I, I, if there's guys listening, they're probably like, what the, but yeah, have some sympathy because it sucks. And I don't care how much you sit there and think it doesn't, you have no concept and you never will. So, you know, dial it back, but bad enough that uh, we have to go through that. But this woman had to be considered unclean constantly and consistently because this issue of blood was continuing, okay? I can't even imagine. Like, I'm, I can't even imagine. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, so the point in case was with... I, I totally digressed. I'm like, wait. Um, when I, I went to multiple doctors, I was with the, that itchy, itchy rash I had, and I was, I was bathing in calamine lotion. Uh, constantly slathering it on my body and it was doing nothing and um I worked at the fire department on the at the time and like after like my third visit in like a week okay guys because itching you can't you just can't you go insane okay um he told me you're you want me to tell you I can tell you what it is do you want me to tell you and I'm like well what is it and he said you're stressed you're stressed out and your body is showing you that it you got too stressed out and now your body's reacting and I looked at him like okay um, after that, I, I went to an, another doctor. This is after I'd, I'd had an actual, my one and only panic attack. I now officially know what a panic attack feels like at one of the doctors due to a shot they wanted to give me. I don't know what happened there, but yep, didn't happen. Um, I went to a doctor and she insisted that I had scabbies and I'm like, lady, I don't have scabbies. And, uh, she was like, do you know how I know they're scabbies? Because they don't go after your face. And I, I literally had these bumps all over my ear and along my chin. And so, like, I pointed very aggressively, and I'm like, do you see this? <laughs> Not scabbies. Obviously, it wasn't scabbies. She gave me, um, it was stress, but she gave me something that finally stopped the itching. And while I said, while the bumps remained there, and people looked at me like I was some kind of leper, um, the itching was relieved. But I cannot imagine a woman going through the issue of blood, having her, her menses occur consistently and constantly for a long time. Let's see how long. Because right now we just see Jesus is on his way. He's making his way to follow um, basically a pastor to his own home, the pastor's home, to save a little girl. Right there we see Jesus' value on women. And, I, and it's not by accident that this is the reason he's going there when he encounters this woman. So as Jesus went with him and the crowd thronged behind, that means that they just they were pushing up against him. It's like being on the metro in China on rush hour. Never good. Um, so um, in the crowd, a woman who had been sick, listen to this, for 12 years with a hemorrhage. 12 years of putting up with that. And and we can't even think about that now because if you consider if someone, if a woman is constantly having her menses and she, her bleeding isn't stopping, she can go to a doctor and have a hysterectomy and that stops it. They didn't have that option back then. And like I said, she was considered unclean. She was considered ceremonial unclean. And so even male doctors would be 
hard pressed to find one willing to address such a situation because of that. 12 years, she had to have been horribly anemic, totally drained and like ostracized because she couldn't be around her family. Like if you were having your menses, you could, you had to be in isolation because um, you were considered unclean. I don't know how much um, so, uh, it said she had suffered much from doctors through the years and had become poor from paying them and was no better, but in fact was worse. She had heard all about the wonderful miracles Jesus did. And that is why she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his clothes. Okay. First of all, how many of you have given money to some, okay, here's another example, not even closely relating to this, but. I once was going to get some contact lenses. So I went to my uh, doctor, my mom recommended an eye doctor and, and he'd seen me before when I was like in junior high, but I went to him now as an adult. I literally went back to that doctor three separate times, three or four. And each time I paid about 150 to $200 us dollars to, to be fitted for new contact lenses. And in that process, I never once got a pair of contact lenses. I was just giving this guy money for him to go, well, Let's try this pair instead. Well, let's try. I was literally just feeding this guy money. And I got to the place where I'm like, this is like my fourth visit. And I still don't have a prescription. I still don't have contact lenses. What is going on? So I just stopped going to him and found a different one that was willing to be like, oh, what contacts do you want? These ones? Okay, cool. Here we go. As long as you're comfortable and they, they don't mess with your eyes. This woman faced that same basic thing, except a billion times worse than my example. Um, I have been blessed with health um, in my life. So I have faced things. Don't get me wrong. Um, however, I'm blessed to live in the time I do where medical, uh, practice is so advanced that I can have things fixed and adjusted and looked at. And most times they know what they are. I once went to a, the doctor and I'm like, I have this bump on my leg and, and it, it feels weird. And she's like, yeah, I don't know what that is, but I'm not worried. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Doctors. Anyway. Uh, so she basically was being ripped off by doctors. So she pushed through this crowd, which, guys, she's not shoving like we do to get on the metro here in China. If you've never experienced it, then you're probably like, why does she keep referring to it? Because it's horrible. I want, if and when my mom comes to visit me here, I want to take her to the metro at rush hour. Even if we don't officially get on, I just want her to see it. I want her to be like, mom, this is what you need to, you need to see how rush hour his, here is in this metro because it's insane that no one cares about anybody it's crazy um there's a lot i can say about it but this is not a podcast about china so we're gonna move on uh, china's a great place folks don't don't read too much into that the metro is an interesting experience um i avoid it now as much as possible um anyway moving on um so we're not talking about her just shoving and elbowing her way through because first of all she's a woman this is her community they know she's bleeding she, they know she's unclean. No, she is on her hands and knees, crawling on the ground to get to Jesus. And just, if she's thinking in her head, if I can just touch the very bottom of his, of his garment, if I can just touch the very, very bottom of it, then I can, I can be healed. And where she came across that thought had to have been Holy Spirit, because it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that Jesus walked by people and like his hem of his gown touched them and they were healed. It doesn't say anything about that, but she knew, she knew if she could get that close to touch him, just his, just the hem of his, his garment that she would be healed. And it says this in verse 28 and 29 for she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothing, I will be healed. And sure enough, 
As soon as she as soon as she touched him, the bleeding stopped and she knew she was well. Jesus realized that healing power had gone out of him and he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes. And the disciples said to him, as all the crowd pressing around you, you ask who touched you? But he kept on looking around to see who who had done it. Okay, first of all, Jesus knows who did it. He's not. It's just like when God is in the garden and he's like, Adam, where are you? God knew full well where Adam was. He knew full well that he and Eve had eaten the apple. He is not dumb. Same thing with Jesus. But sometimes Jesus wants us to, he doesn't want to call us out. He wants us to be, have the courage to identify ourselves. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to a daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, healed of your disease. And I'm going to keep going because we started this story with a journey to a little girl who was dying. And right now it says, while he was still talking to her, messengers arrived from Jairus' home with the news that it was too late. His daughter was dead and there was no point in Jesus' coming now. Um, in other translations, it straight up says that there was, they, t- they tell him or there was, they say there's no point in bothering Jesus anymore. Okay. Um, so that, that's a polite way of saying, oh, there's no point in Jesus coming now. But no, they were like, there's no point in bothering him anymore, which kind of makes me feel like they didn't really care one way or the other. Not that they didn't care if the little girl lived. I shouldn't put it that way, but they were looking at it more like the society would look at it. I was a little girl, you know? Um, and I know that I'm not saying that the, that these people did not have value on, on, on lives. I'm not saying that at all. It's just the culture of the day. Uh, women and females had less value. Um, they just did. So Jesus ignored their comments and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just trust me. And then Jesus halted the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go on with him to Jairus' home except Peter, James, and John. And when they arrived, Jesus saw that all was in great confusion with unrestrained weeping and wailing. He went inside and spoke with to the people. So... Um, here with that you can see it's uh, when I said like they didn't care I didn't, it wasn't like they didn't care about the little girl that's why I had to say just don't think I was saying they didn't care about life they didn't care it was just that to say don't he doesn't there's no point in bothering him anymore that they just felt like that act was beneath this great man's attention there we go there's the words we're looking for um and he goes why all this weeping and commotion the child isn't dead she's only asleep and they laughed at him in bitter derision. And he told them all to leave. And taking the little girl's father and mother and his three disciples went into the room where she was lying. Jesus didn't want this to be this huge showy thing. The woman with the issue of blood happened in front of countless people, including all the disciples. But this intimate thing was only for the parents and the three disciples, James, John, and Peter. I love the fact that Peter is one of God, one of Jesus's closest disciples because he loved all 12. Uh, he cared for all 12. He had his three that he kept closest to him. And that's the way we're supposed to be as believers. We're supposed to have, we can have friends and acquaintances and people we love and we spend time with and we hang out with, but you need those people that are there for your intimacy, that are there for, for the sharing and for the depth and for the things not everybody gets to know. And that's, or see. Um, and that's what James, John, and Peter were. And the reason I love the fact that Peter's one of them is because Peter's such a screw-up. He's he's so human. Um, he 
is so in tune with God and Jesus and, and, and Holy Spirit moving. And then like the next minute he is so carnal and worldly in like his speech and, and things. You're like, how did you, how'd you get from point A to point Z that quickly, you know? Um, because he's human. And I, I just think the fact that Jesus considered him one of his closest, it, it just, it gives you, it makes you feel good about yourself. Um, but anyway, moving on. Um, so taking her by the hand, the little girl, he said to her, get up, little girl. She was 12 years old and he, she jumped up and walked around and her parents couldn't get over it. And Jesus instructed them very earnestly not to tell what happened and told them to give her something to eat. Of course, they're going to tell what happened, A. And B, like, I mean, essentially, they would just say, yeah, she was asleep because she just basically got up like she was asleep. Um, so it summarizes um, in this study Bible I have about the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, the woman had an incurable condition causing her to bleed constantly. This may have been a menstrual or uterine disorder, which would have made her ritually unclean. Eh, see, I know what I'm talking about. Leviticus 15, 25 through 27. As I've said before, I've read through the Bible maybe three times in completion. From A to B. From Genesis to Revelation. Uh, all the way through. Without skipping. Um, I've read, and I've mentioned, I've read the Bible countless times. But all the way through, cover to cover, probably about three times. So when you get through like the Leviticus, those kind of things stick out. And you remember. So, and excluded her from most social contact with other Jews. She just desperately wanted Jesus to heal her, but she knew her bleeding would cause Jesus to be unclean under Jewish law if she touched him. Still, she reached out by faith and was healed. Sometimes we feel our problems will keep us from God, but he is always ready to help. And we should never allow fear to keep us from approaching him. Jesus was not angry with this woman for touching him. Jesus knew she had touched him, but he stopped and asked who did it in order to teach her something about faith. Although she was healed when she touched him, Jesus said her faith caused the cure. Genuine faith involves action. Faith that isn't put into action is no faith at all. Um, so, uh, we're, we're going to... Well, that was a weird sound outside. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the dead girl that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, very quickly. We never learn her name either. We just know it's Jairus's daughter. But it says that loud mourning and crying was customary at a person's death. Lack of it was the ultimate disgrace. Some people, usually women, made mourning a profession and were paid for, paid by the dead person's family to weep over the body. On the day of death, the body was carried through the streets followed by the mourners and others who felt obligated to join the procession. Um, the thing is, like, um, that still goes on today in a lot of Catholic churches. I don't know about uh, Hebrew, uh, Jewish churches, synagogues, but there are professional mourners you can hire in some Catholic churches. I'm not saying all of them. Um, in some Catholic churches, you can hire a professional mourner to stand at the front of a church during a service and, and weep and wail and moan and mourn um, for you. So, I digress. I shared a bit more about the woman with the issue of blood than I would have normally, but um, that's because I'm not going to do an individual segment on her. Uh, but she, to me, there's it's twofold because you look at the fact, first of all, that God, Jesus was on his way. Jesus could have easily said, all right, your daughter's fine, and healed her from a distance. Like that, 
that could have been, um, he could have done that without any problem. But no, he's like, no, you know what? I will go and I will, I will meet, I will physically go and heal your daughter. And, and we don't know later, uh, in the, in those notes of the study Bible, it says that this was to show, um, that, that you should have hope even in the midst of despair and in the midst of people telling you not to have hope. So Jesus knew that. And just like with Lazarus, he allowed himself to be delayed and he wanted, of course he had, he already knew this one with the issue of blood, all this stuff was going to happen. He knew this. Um, but he still took the time to delay for her to, to be acknowledged and have, and have her acknowledge that she was healed by him. Um, and that her faith, believing she could just touch him and be healed. Um, but then he knew that Jairus's daughter was going to die and he was going to be able to resurrect her. Um, and so just like with Lazarus, he's like, ah, he knew Lazarus is dying and he allowed himself to be delayed in the village he was in. And then he's like, okay, let's go. Because he knew he'd get there. And, uh, Mary and Martha did not handle obviously their brother's death well. And uh, lashed out, but Jesus was like, uh, and he resurrected Lazarus as well. A more a more well-known story about Jesus' resurrections of people as opposed to the, the little daughter. But there you go, now you know. Um, but anyway, the woman with, with the issue of blood, like I said, for me, her and the Samaritan woman and Mary Magdalene, all three of them stand out to me so much because, and I, I guess I didn't really realize that before I started po this podcast, but because they fought against the cultural norms and their lives were forever changed. And so was, uh, others. So, um, the woman with the issue of blood was willing to crawl on the ground to get to Jesus and just touch the hem of his garment and be healed because she was so sick and tired of, of being unclean, being isolated, being, unhealthy having this issue that nobody could fix back then oh i mean there was no way they were going to cut her open and rip her womb out i mean we call it uterus you know but it's just it's not going to happen uh, back then um so i hope that you liked that um because i wasn't really going to talk about her and i've spent 20 some minutes or so talking about her which is interesting okay so um, the woman of the well, if I would, I just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you to read her story. Um, it's in John chapter four. Um, and it is all the way through verse 42. Um, you can read all of John chapter four, um, if you want to, but if you just want to read about the, the Samaritan woman and preparation for the podcast. Um, that's what you read. The, there's so much about the Samaritan woman and as much as I, I love Ruth and all the other women in the Bible I talk about and, and everything of all the people in the Bible, it is a Samaritan woman that just captivates me. And I don't know why I'll talk about that a little bit, but I just, I want to know more about her and, uh, I don't. <laughs> because God doesn't tell us a lot, but she's exceptional. And what's so crazy about it 
if you read through this, you're going to see that what's so crazy about the Samaritan woman is she is not, she's ostracized from her village. She is living in sin with a man and she's been divorced, which is a huge thing. And she's also a Samaritan woman, which just like the Moabites, they were not accepted by the Hebrew people. And uh, Jesus makes a special arrangement to reach into this woman's wife, wife, life, reach into this woman's life and uh, change her because she was willing to be changed. And in that, he's, he's able to save most of the village, if not all of it, um, most of the village or many of the villagers through one woman. And I know you're sitting there like, well, but I'm going to tell you, there's something about the Samaritan woman. Like, I firmly believe she is part of the early church. Um, this is a, a theory of mine. It's not biblically based, and there's no proof. This is a theory of Julie, okay? <laughs> Don't go quoting this as God. Don't say this is Jesus or this is God-inspired or anything. This is just my thought and maybe wishful thinking. But I believe, Julie believes, and not under any divine direction, that the Samaritan woman was unnamed because Jesus didn't want her name um, or her past stigmatizing her later in the Bible. And I, I feel like she's one of the women in the early church that Paul mentions. I just do. I don't know if that's true. I just, but I feel like, oh, and blah, blah, blah. One of the ones he holds in high regard. And uh, I believe it's her. I don't know which one. I'm not going to say like it's Phoebe or whatever. Um, but I just believe that God didn't put her name in this and just calls her the Samaritan woman so that we're not like, oh yeah, that was the woman with like, you know, however many husbands she had and, and whatnot so that she could not care, have, I just, it just seems to me like that's something God would do. And there you go. So read that part about the Samaritan woman and we will talk about her. We'll talk about Mary Magdalene. Um... The adulterous woman is pretty interesting too because not they drag her before Jesus and like, oh, this woman's caught in adultery, but where was the man? See, I'm telling you. They just, they wanted to just, they didn't care about women back then as much. Um, some still don't. But that's in, in John 8 if you want to read that. Um, that's an intense. Um, so it's like verses 1 through 11 or something like that. Um, but anyway, Mary Magdalene, uh, You probably want to focus on, uh, I'm trying to find it, guys, sorry. Oh, here it is, uh, chapter 12 of John. Um, just read the whole chapter, even though the part about the alabaster box is, is verses 1 through 11. Um, but the whole thing is about uh, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Jesus explaining what's going to happen. It's right before his crucifixion. And that's the thing that you have to understand is that she anointed Jesus for his death. And that is some powerful, powerful stuff. Um, because he was about to go through some things we don't even want to... I have a really hard time with because he did nothing wrong and he was, he was, he faced a horrible death for us. And yes, he rose again and... And we're redeemed because of that. It's just getting through the what he faced for me is 
overwhelming. Um, okay, so um, in, in John chapter 20, um, this is when Jesus comes back. So just finish out John. Read John 20 and 21 because just get the full experience of Jesus coming back from the dead. However, the first person he appears to is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene's in the garden and she's weeping. And Jesus hangs out there and it's like, hey. <laughs> like you have to understand that like these things, he doesn't have to. He didn't have to wait by a well in the heat of the day for a Samaritan woman. But he did. He didn't have to. He's been. He's been resurrected. He could go to the, the disciples. He could go anywhere and and tell anybody anything and and. And they'd tell Mary, you know. But he makes a decision, to hang out in the garden. It's like okay, Mary's Mary's coming to, to do the rites. Um, uh, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone was well aside at the entrance. And then she ran and got Simon Peter and said, they've taken him. Okay, so she went she went and got Peter and John. And they ran to um, the tomb. And all they saw was the angel, right? Um, or did they see the angel? Uh... I don't remember now. But anyway. Oh no, she sees the angel. Okay. So, I knew someone saw an angel. Uh, I couldn't remember if they did though. So anyway, so they went there and then they're like, oh, you know, he's risen. And then they left. They're just like, okay. Because he's not there anymore. Makes sense. But Mary stayed at the tomb and was crying. And then that's when she saw the angels. The angels, okay, so Jesus first sends the angels. He's like, go. Go into the tomb and, and, and tell her, you know, they've, he's been risen. But what I love, oh my gosh, like, when I do this, I'm about to cry right now. When I do this thing on Mary Magdalene, I just, I have to tell you, like, the way that this one words it even is, is just so powerful. When she sees Jesus, who who's like, okay, it's, the angels aren't going to cut it. I'm going to make sure she knows I'm alive. Just the attention he gives. I, I just, it blows my mind. But here's the thing. It says, she glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And people are like, how could she not recognize him? Well, first of all, he's the resurrected Christ. He doesn't look like he did as the carpenter's son. Okay. He's the resurrected Christ. Now, Jesus still has his nail-scarred hands and feet and the piercing on his side because we know that because he shows doubting Thomas it. He still carries the wounds of his sacrifice for us. But when he talks to her, he's like, oh, so he's even talking to her. She's just like, she thinks he's a gardener. She's just like, where have you taken my, my Lord? Where have you taken his body? And I just love that he goes, Mary. And she turned toward him and Master, she exclaimed. Oh, I just, uh, I just, I love it. And then God uses a woman again to send his message. Don't touch me, he cautioned, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them 
that I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. And then God, Jesus starts showing up for everybody else. <laughs> the power of that moment in the garden. Like, the way that I just felt reading that again is how how God's word used to feel to me constantly. And I, I desperately want that back. I want to be able to read his word and just have it burn within me. It's like it, when he talks to the two men walking on the road to Emmaus and they're like, oh, uh, you know, how could you be so ignorant of what's been going on? They, there was this great teacher and we thought he was a Messiah and then they crucified him and now his body's missing or oh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus just talks to him along the road, blah, 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 blah. And then he vanishes and they're like, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke? That's what God's word is. It's like a burning fire in your, in the core of your, of your body. But I digress. Um, I am so glad that I'm able to return to, to my podcast being a biblically based podcast. While I will still have random podcasts, um, I feel like there is a need that I return to my passion, which is God's word and teaching it and introducing it to people that may not have read something or may not understand something. I don't know everything. I know very little, especially when you consider how rich God's word is. Even now I'm looking at the size of this Bible and it's crazy, crazy big. But let me just wrap up this segment and I will do a random short little segment of rambling. So <laughs> I can move on here. Like I said, I'm going to, this is a series. I'm, I'm really excited to actually have a series. And, uh, the, the, uh, three I'm definitely going to talk about is Ruth, Samaritan woman, and Mary Magdalene. Like I said, I will probably do Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of, of Jesus in the same segment. But if I feel like the Mary Magdalene has more than enough content, um, then I will do a separate one for Mary. Because uh, I don't want to be like, okay, I have like 10 minutes. Let me squeeze Mary in. Because Mary definitely deserves way more than like a little blurp. Um, um, as you noticed, I didn't even really talk about her in this part. I talked about her a little bit in the first part. Um, so I just want you to look at the fact of Mary Magdalene. Because his love for her and his... Uh, she was a prostitute, and I think she was demon-possessed. I'm going to do a lot of research, folks. I'm, when I do these next three segments, it's not going to be as floaty as this. I'm, I'm going to have facts. I'm going to have done research. So while I say this is a series, um, there may be some significant time gap between the rest of them, but I'm going to try to take some time this week because I have no money yet to travel for Chinese New Year. I'm going to take some time this week to do my studying, and I can hopefully pound out these this series before my Chinese New Year ends. I'm going to do my best. Research is not my strong suit. So I'm going to, but I really want to do justice to these three women, four women. I talk about Mary. Um, so, uh, anyway, they're saying that she's, uh, She's a wealthy woman, Mary Magdalene, that she is not a prostitute. So I'm just going to have to look into this and, and do some research. I always believe she was. But there's so many Marys. There's, I, if Mary Magdalene's not a prostitute, that means there's another Mary, which means there's three Marys. So 
very common name back then. But I will do my research. So if I'm wrong on anything I just said, just know I'm going to research because I don't want to be wrong. Um, anyway, I digress because I'm good at that. I need to wrap this up. The two most powerful things to... I think so. Two, three. Three most powerful things um, in this very small piece of scripture. By the way, this is chapter 20. Very small portion of scripture is one, um, she's, uh, um, Jesus waits for her, sends angels to talk to her and waits for her in the tomb. All it takes is him to say her name. When I tell you, that's going to be the meat. I'm going to try to find the thing I wrote about it. The power of a name. I wrote a blog about it. When all it takes is him saying her name. There was a, a, a time when my mom and I almost got run over by a car on the 4th of July. And I know that sounds really horribly awkward segue. But... We were both crossing the street. There were people all around. There was an officer standing on the opposite side of the street, in fact, because we were walking back from a 4th of July celebration in a neighborhood. And we're walking, and I hear God tell me, look up. I know this sounds really weird. You're like, what? Um, because I knew it was God and not my brain just saying something. I stopped walking and looked up just in time to see a truck going about... 50 to 60 miles per hour in a residential. It was, it was semi-dark. It was almost night, almost full-on night. And uh, I went to say a very inappropriate phrase because I, I, I used to say holy monkey. That's, that was my thing. So I started to say holy monkey and I choked on the words because the truck was right there. And uh, like in the movies, everything slowed down. I still remember this. Like, I would love for God to just, when I get to heaven, to be like, yeah, that, yeah. And to show me the angels that were there, because there had to have been. So many things God has done where I'm like, I know that you had an angel do something right then. Or Jesus did it himself. Like, I don't, I don't know everything. Um, am I valuable enough for Jesus to come down and do something himself? Sure. Am I valuable enough for an angel to do it? Sure. I just, I don't know. Um, all I know, folks, is, is when I die, should I not be raptured, I want Jesus to be the one to come for me. He sends angels. And sometimes he comes himself. I want him to come for me. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, you're probably like, you're so weird. Yeah. He, d Jesus is amazing. Okay, I gotta get, I'll do that in that last part. Okay. <laughs> get caught up. Um, anyway, so I, I was choking on the words following this truck in slow motion with my head and eyes and I see my mom and this could have gone so horrible she stops and looks up and her hair my mom has long blonde hair or she had long blonde hair and it blew back like in the movies I swear it was like the movies slow motion and everything I still see it in slow motion it doesn't speed up at all on that day it was in slow motion like, if my mom had been killed in front of me, I, it would have been in slow motion, which would have sucked. Um, but anyway, it would have sucked that she was killed in front of me in general. However, to be able to see it this clearly, like, I still see this, uh, it's telling. Um, and, and I just stared at her like, 
because <laughs> there's nothing I could do. So nobody saw it. And the officer didn't respond. Nobody around us said anything. Nobody saw it. No one responded. Nothing. We would have been taken out by this truck and killed. And I can almost guarantee this guy was already, had already been drinking because it was Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I, I, everybody's going to get pissed off, but come on. So uh, we have very high drunk driving rates there. Uh, we, we walked a little bit further up the road, just kind of in shock. Cause my mom and I were just both in shock. And, uh, there's a point guys. I swear there's a point. This is not just me rambling. We get close to the car and I'm like, that scared me. That was scary. Or is it something? I don't remember my words after this. Cause my adrenaline's gone and I'm just existing now. Uh, and she, and I go, I, I go, I heard God say, look up. And I go, that's the only reason I stopped walking. And she's like, yeah. She goes, if you hadn't said mom, I never would have stopped and looked up. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, you said mom. And I'm like, I didn't say anything. And she's like, I wouldn't have stopped if, if anyone, if somebody had said, hey, if someone had said Peggy, even if, if it had been mom in a different person's voice, she goes, but it was you, you said mom. And I looked and that's the only reason. And I'm like, I didn't say nothing. I literally did not say anything, guys. So God told me in my soul, look up. And I responded to that because he knew in that moment I would respond to that, but he knew my mom wouldn't. So he used an audible voice that I didn't hear. I didn't hear nothing. He used my voice to say mom. So she would respond. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I I know people are like, what? But it's crazy. God saved our lives that day. He could have done anything else. We, the truck could have swerved. Um, the truck could have last minute slammed his brakes. He still would have hit us. Uh, the truck, we could have morphed through the truck. I, I can't imagine how traumatic that would have been to me. But we could have morphed through the truck. Been like inside the truck like you see in movies. God could have done anything. Anything. But he chose that. Mom. Crazy. Point being, Mary... And she knew it was him because she recognized the way he said her name. Ah, like if that doesn't like do something inside you, that's why this is going on. That's why Mary Magdalene needs her own podcast because I just rambled forever on that. And the third thing, (laughs) so powerful. The third thing, you're going to hear all this again, but in more detail in the Mary Magdalene podcast. So just pay attention. Um, take notes and then you'll be like, yeah, she said that she said that, Oh, she was wrong there, but she corrected it. You know, whatever. Um, she, he used her to tell the disciples, John and Peter were already there. They had already gone to the tomb. They already saw that he'd risen. Uh, so he says, so John says, we ran to the tomb to see. I outran Peter and got there first and stooped to look in. Now, okay, Peter wasn't running that fast because he had, but he had denied being, denied knowing Christ three times, just like Jesus said he would do. And he was running with shame. Uh, So he wasn't running as exuberantly as John. John, who stayed through the whole crucifixion and stayed beside Mary, Jesus's mother. Okay. That's, that's, that's the reason Peter just, Peter was human. You gotta, you gotta love Peter because he was human. Anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm wrapping up this segment, I promise. Um, 
and stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but I didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went on inside. He also noticed the cloth lying there, while the swath that had covered Jesus' head was rolled up in a bundle and lying on the side. And that has significance, but I'm not doing anything on that, but you can look that up. There is a significance to that. Something about, like, dinner napkins or something. Look that up because there's a reason that he points that out in the Hebrew tradition. Um, then I went into and saw and believed that he had risen for until then we hadn't realized that the scriptures said that he would come to life again. Jesus said it how many times, but they didn't understand it, which makes sense. Okay. We know because we're this far in the future. Right. We went home and by that time Mary returned and was standing outside crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and saw two white robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And then she sees Jesus, and then Jesus tells her, tell my disciples. But they were just there. He could have done that. There's so much there. There's so much there. There's just so much there. So look forward to the series continuing, and I hope that you were able to listen because this went way longer than I wanted to when you consider the first segment's already 30-some minutes, and this is 48, and I'm still going to do like two more things, two more separate segments. So this is going to be one of my longer podcasts, but it's all about prefacing and I, I'm hoping that I can make the other parts of the series uh, shorter um, but yeah I was gonna not do something and God's like uh, yeah me too so anyway yes it's gonna be a long segment or a long podcast but I'm hoping to keep the other ones at an hour or less so that's part of why I'm doing research but I segue because these are amazing the Bible's amazing if you've, moving on, <laughs> I keep trying to jump into things and God's like, no. Okay, but there you go. So that's my segment on, um, who did I talk about? The woman with the issue of blood, the Samaritan woman with the well briefly, and uh, Mary Magdalene. But and there you go. Everybody, it's Julie with Hefzibah Talks A Lot. I'm just going to take one second, okay, maybe a little longer, to talk to you about writing.com. Now, I'm not doing this for any money or anything. I'm just letting you know about a great supportive community that I think it would be great for you to join. Writing.com has been around for a long time. They actually started out as stories.com, and I stumbled on them when I was a lot younger and joined and eventually they got too big for that domain and became writing.com in order to encompass more than just storytelling. This website is amazing. It is a community of writers and readers. So if you're not a writer but you love to read, join writing.com. If you don't really read a lot because you're so busy but you love to write, join writing.com. If you're a little bit of both, joinwriting.com. It's an amazing community. Now you can get a free account and then they have paid memberships. I currently just do the second tier, the upgraded membership, and it allows me to have more items in my portfolio. I love to pay to have a membership because I love to support 
writing.com. That's the main reason that I pay to keep my membership updated and current. But I just wanted to have an advertisement about writing.com. Once again, not for any monetary gain. It's not even an official one. Uh, They won't even know I'm doing it. But I just want to encourage people to go and join writing.com. It is truly a place that has helped me develop as a writer. It has helped me be encouraged. And I have met people there that have been my friends through the distance online and have supported me and offered me advice with my writing and has been, have been there with me or for me as I've made these transitions to China and other locations. So once again, writing.com, W-R-I-T-I-N-G.com. Join today today.